Welcome to From Fear to Fire, Secrets to Overcome Fear, Embrace Your Gifts, and Achieve Success. This is the place where real people share real challenges and where you can find a common bond and uncommon wisdom through their journeys to help you move from fear to fire. I am Heather Hansen O'Neill. I am your host, and I'm thrilled to be back with you again this week. I have a really great quote, but I have to say I tried frantically to find the source and it keeps coming up as anonymous. So we're going to go with that today. Be a catalyst for change, a life artist whose inspiration is painted upon the souls of every single person you touch. Be the muse this world so desperately needs. I love that one. Isn't that great? So we have an amazing guest for you today. Dr. William Attaway is a leadership coach for Catalytic Leadership, a company he founded to help leaders intentionally grow and thrive. He has served in local church ministry for nearly 25 years and is currently the lead pastor of Southview Community Church, a church in Virginia. He holds a PhD in Old Testament and he loves to read and speak about leadership, organizational change, archeology span and building up people and teams. His newest book is Catalytic Leadership. Originally from Birmingham, Alabama, William now lives in Northern Virginia with his beautiful wife, Charlotte, and their two daughters. Welcome. How are you, William? I'm great, Heather. Thanks so much for having me on. Oh, I appreciate it. I appreciate you and your patience and all the wisdom that we're going to grab out of you today already. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, I gave kind of a brief bio. Is there anything else that you would like to share about your background or how you got to where you are today? No, I think I think you you really hit a lot of the major points there. The 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 key pieces I think are the fact that I've been married to my wife Charlotte for almost twenty five years. Uh, later this year we'll celebrate that milestone. Congratulations! Thanks, it's exciting. <laughs> and uh, and I have two teenage daughters, one of whom's getting ready to go to college this fall. So oh boy, that's uh those are those are big blocks in my life these days. They are. I just sent my my twins off to college last year. Wow. So they're going into their sophomore year this year. It's, oh. it's a whole other ball game, huh? <laughs> you, you gave it them the is. foundation and now they have the wings. Right? That's it. That's awesome. So for you, let's talk about leadership. Let's start with personal leadership. How important is a personal leadership growth plan? I think that you do a lot with that, don't you? I do. I, you know, the old adage, you know, prepare, failing to plan is planning to fail. Yes, yes. I think that's true in so many areas of our life, but especially around our leadership. Mm-hmm. There's never a point at which someone is going to wake up one day and say, oh, wow, I'm a fully mature and developed leader. How did that <laughs> happen? I, I didn't mean for that to happen, but here I am. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. No, not in my experience. <laughs> you, need a, you need a plan. And so what I do is I help leaders to develop that plan based around how they are wired and they're gifted and skilled. And it's customized because each person's wiring looks different. And so what we do is we develop that plan based on their wiring and where they want to go from where they are. Mm, I love that. So it's very specific. It's specific to them and their needs, their wiring. I like that. Can you spend a, another minute or so talking about that wiring? Yeah. You know, I think, I think if you look at each individual person, you find 
that based on the the gifts, the skills, the passions, the talents, the personality, mm-hmm. if you put all that into a stew, you know, every yeah. stew is going to taste a little different, you know, because those things are going to vary. You may have a certain skill or talent that is that is just out front, but how you use that skill or talent is based on your passion area. What are you, what, what fires you up? What, what wakes you up in the morning? Now you're excited? Using the language, right? the fire language. <laughs> and so like, what, what is that for you? What is that fire? That's part of your wiring. That's part of, of, of who you are. And it's also part of how you lead. See, I think as, as leaders begin in their journey as young emerging leaders, the tendency is to want to copy leaders that you admire, that you, you want to emulate them. And that's normal. That's natural. We've all done that. The problem is when you stay there. And, and then over time, what you become is a bad copy of a great leader. Instead, I argue, and what I try to help leaders to do is to develop based on their wiring, not somebody else's, and become the leader that they are intended to be, the best version of them. Uh, this totally resonates with me and what I speak about. So our listeners are probably on the edge of their seats going, yes, we're in, we're ready. We want to hear more. So I do believe, and I'm sure it's sounding like you do as well, that that drawing upon those, those personal, your, your life experiences, your passions, it definitely impacts your career and work. And you, you do as well, correct? Absolutely. And I, that's been true in my own journey. Right. And I know it's true in the in the journey of every single leader that I've ever worked with. Yes. So for you, your journey, what was that for you? What was that wiring, that spark, that fire? Now, when I was 15 years old, I had a, a teacher in high school who invited me to attend my very first leadership conference. I had no real interest or passion in this, but he saw something in me that I did not see in myself. Mm-hmm. And I went. And I got on an airplane, flew and, and went to this conference and was just captivated. I was hooked by what I saw and what I heard. And I've been a student of leadership now for over three decades, studying, learning. I started my own journey as a leader when I was 19 in the business world and began to learn to lead other people in that context. Mm-hmm. Did that for several years before I transitioned into church ministry, where I've led for over 25 years now. And what I've discovered is that the principles that make great leaders great mm-hmm. are the same principles that I saw in great leaders in the business world. And mm-hmm. they're the same principles that I've seen in great leaders in church world. The principles are transferable because it doesn't matter what you lead. You're still leading people. Mm-hmm. And people are the main thing. Mm. Oh, yes. I, yes. I'm totally on board with that. Um, and, and I love that because when you're, you're focusing on you and that leader within, you're carrying it with you in different scenarios so you can lead in any environment. And I think that's particularly important now in today's yeah. world where people are in upheaval about where am I leading? Am I leading from an office? Am I leading a yeah. virtual team? Am I like what? You know, so I think that certainly helps based upon the philosophies that you're talking about here. Now, you two talk a little bit about. Um, evaluation. So, well, probably a little more than a little, right? So talk to me about what, <laughs> what that means for you. 
you know, the, the leaders lead change. That's what we do. But you have to know what to change. <laughs> if you just start changing everything willy nilly, then you may change the wrong things and you may end up with worse results than what you're currently getting. Mm-hmm. How do you know what to change? How do you know what needs adapting or adjusting? Well, that's evaluation. And I think ruthless evaluation is the job of a great leader. We have to be willing to put everything on the table and evaluate it and say, what's working right? And ask that question and celebrate those wins. We need to ask what's, what's not working, what's going wrong. And we need to honestly evaluate that. And then we need to ask the magic question, how do we make it better? Yes. And that's when we begin to move into action. If we take those three questions and we apply them to everything we do, Mm-hmm. And we begin to implement the learnings that come out of those questions. Mm-hmm. I think that's how we move into a catalytic state as leaders. Oh, yes. Um, so is there, if anyone's listening right now, who's a leader that's in the middle of change and they they want to start doing some of this evaluation because they realize maybe they haven't done as much as they should. Is there mm-hmm. a, a tip or a suggestion other than those three questions, which I think are phenomenal? Is there anything else you can offer them? You know, the, the first thing I would say is this is not a solo sport. Uh, this is something that you do with your team. I do this with our team every week. We ask those three questions. Those three questions they could probably recite in their sleep because they hear them so often. I want that. That's important to me because that's how we get better. I would say gather your team, your, your direct reports, the people that are closest to you, and have some honest conversations around this. Ask those three questions. Dig deep. But you've got to create an environment, and this is important, you've got to create an environment where honesty is not just tolerated, but where it's welcomed and appreciated. Mm -hmm. And by honesty, I mean the first 90% of honesty, which is usually pretty easy. I also mean the last 10%. And that's the part that we tend to hold back on because we're afraid, oh, I'm going to hurt somebody's feelings, or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to trip across something. I don't want to, I don't want to create an adverse effect or, okay, you got to get past that with your team. You got to get into that last 10% because that's where the magic is. That's where transformation happens. When you create an environment where you are willing and in fact, welcoming 100% of the feedback, 100% of the evaluation, that's when you find this is where evaluation really takes off. Okay. Yes, I definitely think, and that takes some time and it really is the, the job of the leader to be able to foster that element of trust. I'm curious when you were talking about, you know, not doing it solo or, you know, making sure that you're including your team, do you also encourage leaders to um, add in customers or potential customers or anything like that in the team? Or do you really keep it specifically to the internal folks? I think it depends on what you're doing. I think this is this is an important context point. With your team, you want to bring them in as often as you can into the thinking process, the decision mm-hmm. process. If you're leading a team of one or five or 10, like you can still bring everybody around the table. Like, let's have that conversation. Let's think through this together as we evaluate. Because what that's going to do is that when new ideas come out of the evaluation process, and they will, when new ideas come out, then later when those begin to be implemented and discussed on their own, it won't be a surprise to anybody in the room. Nobody around the table is going to say, oh, that came out of the blue. No, it didn't. It came out of our evaluation conversations. That's where it came from. When it comes to the clients or the customers that you're serving, you need to be in a continual learning posture as a leader. 
because that's, that is a critical piece of helping make sure that you're answering the right questions, that you're solving the right problems that they're having. Uh, otherwise, you're going to find yourself extinct over time. Yes. <laughs> so that needs to be a continual learning posture. But that's a different, that's a different conversation than what I'm talking about with evaluation. Okay. It's an element. It's, a, it's an ingredient in the stew. Mm-hmm. But I would not let those two conversations coalesce and overlap most right. of the time because those are different. And you want to keep those distinct. That makes a lot of sense. I appreciate that, William. Thank you. Now I'm going to get a little bit more serious here for a moment. So how did your older daughter's cancer diagnosis impact your family, your faith, and your leadership? Now, this was just over three years ago. Uh, in March of 2019, my, my older daughter, who was 14 at the time, uh, started having headaches. And we thought maybe she's developing migraines. I've suffered from those since I was about her age. So maybe that's what's going on here. Took her to the doctor and got some medicine and then went back to the doctor when it didn't get better and just really couldn't seem to get a, get a handle on it. Um, and a few weeks into that, we went to the ER and, and just really was, were grasping at straws. And they ran an MRI and discovered that she had a tumor on the back right side of her brain. Uh, This was out of the blue. I mean, no history of this, no expectation of this at all. And here it is. And so they take her by ambulance to a larger hospital in our area, uh, closer to DC. And two days later, the tumor's out. And two days later, she's home. And then we begin to wait uh, for the biopsy results to see what this is. Uh, several weeks later, we discovered that this is a, a very rare form of cancer. Only about 50 teenagers a year in the world are diagnosed with it. Um, and we started our journey. You know, we started a journey with, with, with after the surgery, with the radiation and all the different treatments and things that we did. Now, skip to the end of the story, and she's doing great. You know, she's we're, we're three years. She's going off to college. She's going off to college, right? I mean, she's, she's doing great. There's been no yeah. recurrence. Uh, we're outside the first three-year window of likely recurrence. And so that's, that's fantastic news. We're so excited about that. I think that that, that, is, that is an important element, and we need to say that up front. What, what I would key in on is when all that was going on, the active treatment, the surgery, the radiation, we, we literally moved to a different city up to Baltimore, stayed at the Ronald McDonald House for almost two months. Mm-hmm. Um, in the middle of all of that, I was not thinking about, hey, you know what? I'm not sure we're hitting our KPIs at work. Right, of course. <laughs> I'm not sure we're, we're going to accomplish our, our quarterly goals here. This was not what I was focused on. Mm-mm. And this is something that I talk with leaders about. We, we, we tend to want to focus on the KPIs and, and the, the bottom line, and those things are important, and I'm not at all denigrating that. But I've spent a lot of time with people at the end of their lives and by virtue of what I do, and, and what I hear in those conversations, I've never once heard somebody say, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Right, right. I've never once heard somebody say, I wish I wish I'd hit more objectives or achieved more at work. What I hear are regrets around relationships, regrets around those closest to you, mm-hmm. conversations that were not had, uh, relationships that were not mended properly. And I hear those and I think, I don't want to, I don't want to go down that road. I don't want to end up in that ditch. And so I think it's really important that leaders understand that in order to be truly catalytic in your leadership, you need to be family focused. Mm-hmm. You need to understand that, the, that one day somebody else is going to sit in the chair you sit in. Yeah. One day somebody else is going to have the title that you have. You are not going to be doing this for the next thousand years. <laughs> yeah. So 
When that happens, then what? It's those closest to you you're going to be spending time with. Then what? I think we begin writing that story now. Mm. I think we begin planning with the end in mind now. And this is one of the things that that season drove so deeply in me and in my leadership. This is something I've talked about for a long time, but in a very personal and in a very fresh way. This drove deep in me the importance of making sure that the main thing is the main thing mm. and that you don't confuse and conflate this idea. Well, I'm providing for. Yeah, I get that. That's important. Everybody likes to live indoors and eat. That's good. <laughs> but the relationships, the relationships are key. Yeah. You know, I think that is incredibly powerful and it really ties into this element that I've been working on, which is this humanity in leadership mm. yes. and what you're talking about completely ties into that. Um, if you were to offer some words of wisdom, some advice to our leaders out there, if maybe they haven't, you know, they've been focusing on the numbers, or maybe they've been working really hard at the expense potentially of some of those relationships. What do you recommend for them to bring more humanity into their lives, into their relationships with their team members, their, their employees, their customers, all of that? What, what would you say? I think it begins with understanding the value mm. and, and clarifying the win. What are your priorities going to be? What do you want a win to look like? If a win for you is just what happens at work, that's, that's a statement. That is a clarifying point. And if that's what you want your win to be and everything else can just fall away, okay, you have clarity around that. Mm -hmm. Most of the leaders I work with, that's not true. They want to win in multiple parts of their life. But we have this idea that you can wall off pieces of your life. It's like those <laughs> plates that I love to eat off of at Thanksgiving that have the little dividers in them, <laughs> right? where your food doesn't touch. I love that because I like my food not to touch. I'm one of those people. I, I know it all gets together down here, but up here, I want to taste it the way it was intended to be tasted. And, and that's important to me. We think our lives are like that, that we have these little walls that separate and that what happens at work doesn't affect what happens at home and vice versa. Guess what? <laughs> that's yeah. that's a that's a funny myth yeah. but it's just that it, it's not true mm -hmm. but too many people have bought into it and so uh, what i try to do is explain that, that we are integrated beings mm -hmm. right and every part touches every other part yeah. and so if you want to win here and here and here then you've got to have a plan to do that you've got to be intentional is the word i use a lot you've got to be intentional about this if you're not intentional it's not going to just happen so if there's an area of relationship that you have been neglecting and you see the fruit of that neglect, mm -hmm. what's your plan? How are you going to get intentional here? You have to first clarify the win. You know where you are. Where do you want to be? And then you build a plan to get there. Mm -hmm. I love that. That's really, really important. You know, while we're kind of getting into that avenue of relationships, let's talk about our teams. Okay. Mm -hmm. Let's dive a little bit deeper into that here. How, how do you learn if a potential candidate is a right fit for the mm -hmm. team? You know, I think we talked about discovering your wiring earlier mm -hmm. and, and that's important for a leader to do, to discover their wiring. I think it's equally important that once you discover your wiring, you discover the wiring of your team members. Mm 
Mm. You need to understand how they are wired because that's going to help you with the question that you're asking now. When you add a new person onto a team, you are changing the DNA of that team. It's inevitable. That's how it works. You're changing the dynamic. Mm -hmm. The only way you know how you're going to change the dynamic, even in part, is by understanding what the current dynamic is, which means you have to see your team members as actual 3D people, Mm -hmm. not just as cogs in a machine that do a task. It's by seeing them as individuals, as people. That's how you begin to understand your culture. Mm -hmm. And culture is one of the big things I look for when I'm looking to add somebody to our team. I want to know, is this a culture fit? Because not everybody is going to fit every culture. That is not only okay, it's expected. We all bring different skills, tasks, talents, passions, personalities. We all bring that as part of our wiring. I want to find a good culture fit for our team, not just for the team, but also for that individual. The times when I have neglected that, when it was just like, no, we just got to have somebody now. That is always a mistake because I didn't take into account culture. Culture is one of the things I look for. Uh, chemistry with the other team members is another thing I look for. Mm-hmm. Um, this is somebody we're going to be spending some time with. And I want us all to actually enjoy that. Now, that doesn't mean you have to you know, be best buddies, but it does mean you have to not grate on each other. Uh, if that begins to happen, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's not going to end well. And it's going to be reflected in the productivity of the team mm-hmm. and of the individuals. So, so chemistry is, is, a, is a really big part. Another thing I look for is character. Uh, and you might say, well, that's, you know, you lead in a, in a church. Of course, you look for character. Yeah, see, I, I'm going to look for character in my business as well. I'm going to look for character in every sphere of leadership. And if you think character doesn't matter in leadership, I would just ask you to go check out the headlines. It doesn't matter which section of the paper you pull. Uh, character matters in every leadership environment. Oh, I completely so. agree with you. And I, and, you know, it's back to taking down that you're not using the plate now that it's, it's yeah. the same across the board, right? Any relationships it all ties together, you know, in this same um, conversation about teams, some of the leaders that I speak with have um, mentioned a, an element of complacency, you know, being okay with mediocrity. I mean, do you have any thoughts for them? Any suggestions? I think that happens when a leader gets to a point of feeling like, you know, I got this. When you start something new, you're on a, you're on a pretty significant growth curve and you're learning a lot and you're having to stay on your toes. But over time, that growth curve begins to flatten out mm-hmm. and you begin to feel like, you know, I think I got this. I think I understand what I'm doing here. And if you're not careful, you stop learning. And when you stop learning, you stop leading and and you flatten out that curve and you begin to drift and you always drift toward mediocrity. Well, mediocrity inspires no one. (laughs) 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 Leadership, leadership is non-parts inspiration. If you're inspiring no one, you're not leading. Mm -hmm. And mediocrity, that's, that's what it, that's the fruit of the tree of mediocrity. Mm -hmm. So, how do you avoid that? How do you avoid drifting into mediocrity? Well, that takes, and I, again, I sound like a broken record, but it takes a plan. It takes being intentional. You have to choose to avoid that. It begins with a teachable spirit. And this is something I talk a lot about. This is a posture of humility, a posture of learning that I'm going to come into every conversation, every circumstance, every situation, every environment 
asking, what can I learn here? Now, sometimes you're going to learn what not to do. That can be incredibly valuable. Okay, <laughs> I'm sure okay can. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to learn. I want to walk into it learning. It's when we walk in thinking, I know it all. I don't need to learn anything here. I got this. That's when you're drifting. That's when you're going to move toward mediocrity. I want to walk in with a learning posture. I want to walk in with a teachable spirit. Every conversation, every time I talk with somebody, every situation I'm in. That's a key piece of avoiding that drift. But that is a decision I have to make every single day, Heather, every single day. Yeah, I mean, because it's just too easy to, to, yes. to fall back into it. We have to be on our toes. And, and I'm going back to the term that you use a lot, and that is being intentional. Yes. Right. You can't just kind of glide through. You have to be intentional and have that plan. And when you're talking about, you know, that, that element of growth, I think of that as, um, curiosity mindset, right? It's the same thing that you're talking about is like, I'm going to be curious as to what I can learn here and how I can walk away better. Or how can I leave the situation better? And I found it. Yeah, this is great. You know, let's, let's dive a little bit into, um, measuring things. Okay. So, you know, there's a lot of pushback sometimes on how do we measure the intangibles that you and I are, are talking about, things mm-hmm. like leadership growth or, mm-hmm. or impact in your organization. Um, so do you have any ideas on that that you'd like to share with us? Sure. I think that metrics matter. Mm-hmm. It, we measure what matters. We've, we've all heard that. And if you don't think that's true, then I'm going to challenge you never again to look at the balance in your checking account. Just (laughs) just keep spending and I'm sure it'll be fine. It'll be fine. Right. It'll be fine. I mean, of course that's silly. We would never do that. But with our leadership, sometimes that's exactly what we're doing. We don't, we don't measure anything. We just think, Oh, of course that's getting better. Of course we're moving the right direction. What are the metrics that you're going to look at? And, and these are, this is something that I work with leaders on to figure out what their metrics need to be. What are the things that you want to measure that matter to you based on your wiring, based on the priorities of your life, the goals that you want to set? We're going to set metrics on each one of these, and then we're going to measure. We're going to see how we're doing here, right? So, so for instance, in the environment that I'm in, in church world, people often say, well, you can't measure that. That's too intangible. That's, you know, okay, well, I, I, I think that everything can be measured. I think there's just people who choose not to measure. And so, you know, that's choice I'm not going to make. Mm -hmm. I'm going to measure. I want to measure, for instance, to see if people are actively using their gifts for the benefit of other people. Mm. Are they serving actively and regularly? That's one of the things I'm going to measure because that matters. There are people who say, you can't really measure. Sure you can. Sure you can. You just have to define what the win is. That's how we know what to measure. Oh, yes. And, you know, once again, you, you snuck in how the humanity side of it, because that's perfect, you know, because a lot of people say, well, how are we measuring that? That's exactly how you measure it. You know, how, how are people engaging in those conversations? How, what, what element of service are they coming from? What have they done to help someone else? There are ways that we can measure if we value it. Yes. Yeah. Ooh, this is good stuff. I like this. Okay. So let's say that there are listeners out there that want to learn more. How can they find you? How can, is there any, uh, are there any other resources that you'd like to send them to? 
Sure. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, just look for William Attaway. You can go to catalyticleadership.net and you can find out more about the coaching that I provide for leaders, the speaking that I do there. And for your podcast listeners, Heather, I'd love to offer a free copy of my new book, uh, Catalytic oh, Leadership. Awesome. They um, would love that. If they will go to catalyticleadershipbook.com uh -huh. and they're willing to cover the cost of shipping so I can get the book to them, I'll get a free copy in their hands. My, my goal is to get this to as many people's hands as I possibly can. I want this in every leader's hands. This is, this is a summary of what I have learned coaching leaders for over two decades these threads, these principles that run through so many of these conversations. It doesn't matter if they're government contractors or employees or educators. It doesn't matter if they're C-suite types or entrepreneurs. These principles apply. And what I've tried to do is, is make this book like a conversation. If you and I were to have coffee across a table talking about these things, that's how I wrote the book. And I want this to be accessible for every leader so they can take this and begin to apply it today. Love that. Oh my goodness. You continue to be speaking my language. Hey, folks, if you're out there listening and you want to take advantage of that, but maybe you're driving a car, or you're on the treadmill right now while you're listening to this, don't worry. We'll put a link to that into and to how to, to get um, William through LinkedIn as well. All of those resources, we'll put links in the show notes for you so that you can just go back and nice and easy, do a one click and find it. So that's amazing. Now it's time. What is is that that one thing that that burning wisdom that one point that you want to make sure everyone leaves with today the one thing if i could give you one thing it would be this choose to cultivate a teachable spirit intentionally every single day if mm. you do that one thing you will see the fruit in every area of your life that's, that's the nugget. That's going on the quote list. I like it. All right. <laughs> William, thank you so much for your time and your wisdom today. And thank you to everyone out there listening today. Share it if you love it. Remember, and oh, we're always open to those reviews. We love those as well. Thank you again. Have a beautiful day and we'll see you next week. 